and I'm going to continue our series on the seven signs in the gospel of John. We read today from John chapter 9, beginning at verse 1 through verse 7. It says this, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I'm going to preach to you for just, maybe just a little bit, we'll see. For a period of time here today, I'm going to preach this thought. A God who provides sight. A God who provides sight. God bless you, you may be seated. COVID, which is still running rampant, caused people and still causes people to lose their taste and smell. I was blessed to not have gotten COVID, to my knowledge, been tested numerous times after various exposures to COVID and had antibody tests and and so far, I have, to my knowledge, I have not had COVID. My wife had it, and my son had it, and my daughter has not had it. But many people, when they get COVID, they will lose their, their taste and smell. And some, it would be a day or two, and some, it would be weeks, and some, months. And I know of some that have had uh, their taste and smell has been gone for well over a year. And in thinking about our five senses, people often would ask these questions. If you had to lose one of your five senses, which one would you want to give up? Anybody ever thought about that question? Anybody ever asked that question or been asked that question? And now, I don't want to give up any of them. And, but I, I thought about that. Nobody ever says touch. And if you lose your sense of touch, it's usually because of some kind of paralysis. That's obviously that's a horrible thing to experience. And, and nobody that I know would want to give up their sight. Nobody that I know would want to give up their hearing. But because I love to eat so much, it might not be a bad thing if I lost my taste or smell. And so if I had to give up something, it probably would be one of those two. And they actually go hand in hand when you're eating because if you can't smell, you can't taste. And, and so you probably would lose, just like with COVID, you lose them both if you lose one. And that might help me to lose weight. I, I don't know. I met a lady. I was at a meeting at a restaurant. I met this lady, and she said uh, uh, she had gotten COVID twice. And lost her taste and smell. And I said, well, did you lose weight? And she said, no. She said, I gained weight because I ate all of the stuff that I knew was supposed to taste good to see if I could taste it. <laughs> that might be what I would do. I'm just going to keep eating and hope 
that I can taste something along the journey. But, but I, I love to eat. That's one of my favorite sayings. I love to eat. and So taste or smell might be the one. But, but I, I definitely would never want to lose my sight. And of course, it is tragic for anyone who loses any of these. But I, I want to talk a little bit about blindness and what the Bible has to say about blindness. And if I could ask this question, can we be blind in some way and not know it? As I mentioned, this passage that I read, this is the sixth sign in the Gospel of John. And if you've been here and you know the, the, the way this has been set up, is that John is writing specific miracles through the Gospel of John, seven of them to be exact, and he is writing them so that people will know that Jesus is the Christ, that they will know that He is the Messiah, and, that, and they will know that He is God revealed in human form. And so he writes this sixth sign in the Gospel of John. Now, there are a number of things that I want to pull out of this, and, and I'm going to preach it a little bit different than I normally do, but I'm going to take it all from the text when we look at healing in the Bible, there are multiple healings throughout the Scriptures, multiple stories and multiple places where people are healed. It starts in the book of Exodus when the Bible says that as the Israelites are leaving Egypt, that not a single person among them was sick or feeble, that everybody is strong and everybody has their health. That somewhere in that process of maybe taking the, the first Passover celebration where God has had them kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost of their house and they've eaten the, the bitter herbs and they've eaten the unleavened bread, that maybe somewhere in that process He heals all of those. And even the elders are not feeble, but they all have their strength. That's got to be a supernatural healing. And then we see later in Exodus 15 when God heals the water that has been made bitter, or that was bitter, and he heals it and takes away the bitterness. And we get from that passage one of the compound names of God, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. One of the most famous of the Old Testament healing stories is that of Naaman, who is a pagan but hears about the God who can heal the, the God in Israel and a prophet there who can call on that God and bring healing. And so he listens to his Israelite captive servant girl and he goes to meet the prophet and he dips in the river Jordan seven times and he comes up and his leprosy's gone. God heals. The psalmist would refer to healing Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and who heals all your diseases. That the psalmist would say, God is the one who heals all of our diseases. There has already been a healing story in John. Sounds like rain. I didn't know it was supposed to rain anymore. When we get to the New Testament, the healing is ramped up. And John has already 
recorded a specific miracle. It's one of the seven signs, and it is the man at the pool of Bethesda, and he is needing to be healed, and he is healed by Jesus. There have been many references to miracles in the Gospel of John that over and over he would talk about miracles, and Jesus did miracles here. It's not one of the signs. It's not a specific miracle that he's focusing on, but there were miracles taking place. And there are, there's a principle that you should understand, and it is this, it's that repetition, repetition of God's works should be viewed as unique nuances of His actions and not as redundant stories. A lot of big words in there. What that means is this, is that every healing story doesn't just prove that God's a healer. It does prove that, but it's more than that. Why do we need healing after healing after healing story in the Bible? Don't you believe it? If he heals one person, that's, that's all you need. But what I would tell you is this, is that when the Bible records these multiple healings, that there are nuances to that. And ultimately what he's saying by the, the variety of healing passages is this, is that anybody, anywhere of anything can be healed. Because if he only heals one person, one lame person, well, we know he can heal a lame person. But we have more than that. We know that he can heal blinded eyes, and we know that he can unstop deaf ears, and we know that he can take care of paralysis. And we know that it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or what your background is. So we get that from all of the stories. And so when I preach or talk about healing from a particular passage, I'm looking for a nuance of why and what is different about this passage and what is unique about this story in the Bible. What is unique about this is that this is a blind man. And when I look through the Old Testament, healings throughout the Old Testament, looking for stories of blind people who were healed. There are none. There are no Old Testament stories of blind people having their eyes open. There are prophecies, however, speaking about the Messiah who would come, who would open the blinded eyes. Isaiah said in Chapter 35, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall give or shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped and the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb seeing for water shall birth forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. 
what he is saying is this, that when Messiah comes on the scene, when the anointed one that we are looking for comes on the scene, then blinded eyes will be open. He would also, the prophet Isaiah would also write in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And all the day of vengeance to our God to comfort all who are mourned. Jesus would claim this passage when in Luke chapter 4, and he would say this, or the, the gospel writer would say this, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. That Jesus would say, I am here to let the blind see. So it is not until Jesus comes on the scene that the Bible records the blind receiving their sight prophecies of the messiah who would do this and then jesus shows up and he claims that prophecy and he begins to open blinded eyes there are a number of passages in the gospels where jesus opens blinded eyes matthew 9 27 when jesus departed from there two blind men followed him crying out and saying son of david have mercy on us and when he had come into the house The blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open. In Bethsaida, he healed a blind man. The most famous, however, of... And I'm skipping through some of my notes... The most famous passage of a blind person being healed is that of blind Bartimaeus. That's how we refer to him. The Bible doesn't quite say it that way, but we say it's blind Bartimaeus. We use that blind as a part of his name. The way the Bible uses it, while it has those two words back to back, it's not really a name. But it says this, now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, and he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. 
Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. All of these stories of the blind being healed, it is proving that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, there's only one other passage in the New Testament that talks about the blind receiving sight, and it's Paul when he's on the road to Damascus after he he has heard the voice and he's seen the, the great light, and Jesus has spoken to him that he is blinded by the light, and when he goes to the house of Ananias, Ananias prays for him, and the Bible says he it receives his sight as scales fall off his eyes and he is filled with the Spirit. What does all of this tell us? It tells us that Jesus is the Messiah because he is healing the blind, just like the prophecy said. But it is also possible and probable that blindness is more than we think when we read this passage in John. That it is more than just talking about someone who has lost their physical sight. Briefly, I want to go through three types of blindness that we see in this passage. The first is the obvious one. It's the one that we think of. And that is natural blindness. When Jesus passes by, He sees a man who is blind from His birth. He cannot see. He has never seen. Everything is dark. It's as though his eyes are closed all the time and there's no light, nothing that goes through. And when I close my eyes here, I can still see light through my eyelids. But for him, it's pitch black. Anybody ever been in pitch black darkness? Imagine that being all of the time. It is that natural blindness. And because of the theology of the day the assumption is is that if he's blind somebody has sinned now the reality is that he is blind because sin is in the world but it is not a specific sin and jesus says when the disciples ask who sinned this man or his parents and jesus said it's not because of anybody's sin no no specific sin but he is blind so that the glory of god will be displayed in him Now understand this, and this is not even part of my message, but understand this, when bad things happen to you, it's not because you've necessarily done anything wrong. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and bad things happen. You get injured, people mistreat you, things happen, you get sick. It's just part of the process. And Jesus is saying, it's not because his parents were any great sinners. It's not because he sinned and he was, sin, he was born this way. But God's glory would be revealed. But, but just understand that it is this natural blindness. And so when we read the passage, that's all we focus on. But there are two other blindness, blindnesses that we see here. One is night blindness. We find that in verse 4 when Jesus says this, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day because the night is coming when no one can work. 
you can have great eyesight, but when it's dark, it limits your ability. If the lights were cut off in here, you wouldn't be able to see where you were going. I should have had them cut the lights immediately. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? I've been in darkness. I've been in this room in the dark, saving electricity or whatever, passing from one place to the other, and I'm like, man, where's my phone? I've got to have some light to see. And what Jesus is saying here, it has a number of different connotations, but, but one of the simple things is this. When it gets dark, you can't see, and if you can't see, you can't work. He's just talking about night blindness, and, and I'm not going to spiritualize this part of it and, and say that, the night is coming later. There are songs about this. And ultimately when Jesus takes his church out of the world, it is going to be spiritual darkness. And that is the third blindness that we see here. And it is spiritual blindness. And I think there is an allusion in our text to this spiritual blindness. Isaiah would record this other Old Testament prophets, the Bible would say that the lost are in darkness. That if you do not know Jesus, you are walking in darkness. You cannot see. You have spiritual blindness. 1 John 2.11 But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in in darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Zephaniah records these words from God, I will bring distresses upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. That the people who are not following Jesus and are not following God's ways, they are spiritually blind and they are walking in darkness there are others the bible would tell us that satan blinds their eyes so that they cannot see second corinthians 4 4 whose minds the god of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god should shine on them that Satan will blind people's eyes so they cannot see, and so they walk in spiritual darkness. The most sobering thing, though, is the Bible says that God will blind men's eyes and keep them in spiritual darkness. 2 Corinthians, or Isaiah 44, 18, rather, they do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see. Our world is in spiritual darkness. And what I would tell you is this, is that spiritual darkness is the most important for us to understand and it is the most important for us to bring light to those who are in spiritual darkness 
I saw a blind man just a couple of days ago in a restaurant. Didn't have an opportunity to talk to him. and I don't know how long he's been blind. I knew he was blind because somebody's helping him. And he had the, the stick that the blind used to feel where they're going. But if somehow I had been able to pray for him, and if God would have healed his blinded eyes, that would have been worth rejoicing and worth celebrating. But if he still walks away with spiritual blindness, what good has it been for eternity? And the answer would be, it's no good for eternity that if you walk into hell with all of your senses and you walk into hell being able to see physically, what have we done? But I would tell you that what God has called us to do more than bringing physical sight to the blind, the few that you may run across, He has called us to bring light into the darkness of those who are spiritually blind. Those who cannot see because either their sin or the enemy has blinded their eyes and they do not know the truth and they cannot see the light. God has called us to bring light into their darkness. He is a God who provides sight. Jesus heals this blinded man in a unique way spits in the dirt creates some mud pies and tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam there are a number of pieces in that particular few verses that I want to bring out, and one thing is this, is that blindness in those who are spiritually blind is removed when we are joined with Jesus. If you caught it in verse 4, and Josh, I don't know if you can put it on the screen, but it says this, what Jesus says, we must work the works of Him who sent me. That Jesus says this, we are joined together with Him to do God's work. He doesn't say, and what, what you would expect to hear is this, I must work the works. And in fact, some versions of the Bible have that. But the Greek would say, the plural here, we must work the works. That He's looking at His disciples and He's saying, I'm here but it's more than just me. We must work the works of Him who sent me. And I would tell you, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we must work with Him. That when we are on mission with Jesus, it is us and Jesus on mission. It is not just Jesus on mission, Jesus reaching the world. It's not just us reaching the world, but it is you and I together with Jesus, joined together reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, or 18, 19, and 20, and Jesus 
came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And he says, I have authority and I am giving and commissioning you. And so now you and I are doing this together. That we are working the works together. And when we do mission, he is doing the mission because he is with us. That you and I don't do this by ourselves. We don't just go and share the gospel by ourselves. But God empowers us and He enables us. And He is working in the hearts and lives of people. And when we verbalize what He wants us to say, people are moved and people are touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are on mission together with Him. And when we do that, the blind eyes are open. Those who are spiritually blind, their eyes are It is us and Jesus doing miracles together. Mark's version of the Great Commission. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. That as we're going, we should expect miracles. We should expect the blind eyes to be open. We should expect to cast out demons. Because Jesus is working with us. The blinded eyes are open when we are working with Him. Jesus would say in John 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these shall he do. That we do miracles with Jesus. Now, I don't mean to to imply that that makes us special. But it does Make us part of his kingdom and he is working through him and his authority he gives to us. And when we exercise his authority, miracles happen. But blindness is not just removed when we are joined with Jesus, but it is also removed when we are sent by Jesus. Jesus was sent. The passage tells us, John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me Jesus is the anointed one who has sent to bring salvation to the world but you and I are also sent into the world Jesus would say in John 20 21 peace be with you as the father has sent me even so send I you That your neighbor and your coworker and your family member, their spiritual blindness is not removed if you don't operate in your sentness. Nobody gets saved because you come to church on Sunday morning. You can show up every Sunday, and you should. <laughs> and your coworkers are never going to get saved because you're here. Your coworkers 
or your family or your friends, they get saved because somebody shares the gospel with them. Not because we come, but because we are sent. I, I would tell you, I don't think it is a coincidence that Jesus talks in this passage about Him being sent. And then He sends the blind man to the pool of Siloam. Now, if, if you were to talk to me, we could sit and shoot the breeze and talk random stuff and with no plan. We could talk about food, we could talk about football, we could talk about the weather, we could talk about politics. And it's just this free flow of consciousness that we're just talking and communicating. But the Bible is not like that. And John would say that if all of the things that Jesus did were recorded and all the miracles, he said even the, all the books in the world couldn't contain that. So when we get something in Scripture, it's not just we need something to write down, but it is specifically what God wants us to have. And so Jesus is not just having this free flow of consciousness and just having this unintentional conversation, looks at the blind man and they talk about sin, and he goes, we must work the works of him who sent me. It's not just a random thought, it's not a random idea, but he is tying things together. And so it's not just a coincidence or an accident that Jesus needs this well, let me back up. Need is, is a wrong word because Jesus could heal anyway. Any particular manner he wants to heal, he can do it. He can just say to the man, be healed. Right? Your, your eyes are open. But he spits in the dirt and he makes mud pies and he sticks them on. Kind of gross. And he sends him with this mud on his eyes to a specific water source. And it just happens to be that it is the pool of Siloam. It could have been any water source, but Jesus doesn't say, go and wash your eyes. Just go anywhere you want and clean. But he says to go to the pool of Siloam which everybody who's there knows means sent. I am sent. Go to the pool of sent. <laughs> and it's no coincidence that John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, would make sure that people who didn't happen to know what Siloam means gives us the definition so if you're reading this and you're a jew it says go to the pool of sin which by the way means sin but for us who don't know it stands out and he's tying that in with his sentness 
And I would tell you that he's making this connection. I am sent, we are sent, and those who we minister to are to be sent. Blindness is removed when we are sent by Jesus. The third thing and final thing is this. Blindness is removed when we are obedient to Jesus. If they would come to the music. The man's blindness was not healed because Jesus spit in the dirt and put mud on his eyes. The mud and even the spit of Jesus didn't heal him. He was only healed because of his obedience to Jesus. Had he gone to another well, had he gone to another pool, had he just pulled the mud off of his eyes and cleaned it off and said, that's, that's ridiculous, he doesn't get healed. But he's only healed because he obeyed what Jesus said. Others will receive their sight when we are obedient to sharing the gospel and they are obedient to the gospel. God only provides sight to the obedient. Second Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12, Paul would say it this way. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. They all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There is an obedience that is required for people to lose their spiritual blindness. But that can't happen for them if we are not obedient in sharing the gospel. what is the gospel we're supposed to share it is the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus it is the simple truth that man is a sinner and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that because of that all of us are destined to an eternity in hell an eternity of torment in hell the bad news that makes the next part good but God wanted to reconcile us to himself to bring us back into relationship with him so that we could be saved And in order to do that he came in human flesh and, and was born 
of a virgin in a stable placed in a manger the Christmas story that we celebrate but that's not all but he lived a perfect sinless life that you and I could not live and after 30 or 33 years he goes to the cross and he takes the penalty for your sin and mine upon himself placed in a tomb but that's not the end of the story either because on the third day he comes out of the tomb that's the gospel that's the good news that's what people need to hear but hearing that doesn't do anything for people unless they are obedient to it they have to hear it which means we have to be obedient to share it but once they hear it they have to be obedient to what it means and that is this, is that just like Jesus was crucified and died, we are to crucify ourselves through repentance, putting the old man to death, then be buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, that just as Christ was buried, we are to be buried with Him in baptism, and then just as Christ was raised from the grave, that we are to come out of the water and to rise, to walk in newness of life through the in filling of the Spirit, evidence and speaking in other tongues. And it is only that obedience that will remove the spiritual blindness for each of us. It is only that obedience that will cause people to receive their sight. So why if I preach this and it's an un probably an unusual message and I told you it'd be a little different than what I normally do but as I read this and studied this and and maybe the church planting conference that we just came out of that had a whole lot of soul winning and evangelism and there is nothing greater no greater sight that people can have than to be spiritually able to see the light of Jesus to walk in the light and not in darkness but they can't walk in the light if we don't share the light we just stand together so my call to you today is this believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Believe that Jesus came and lived that perfect sinless life and that he was buried or he's crucified he was buried he rose again on the third day believe that but then respond to it and obey it by your own repentance your own baptism in water in the name of Jesus and through receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit most of you in this room you have experienced that if you haven't experienced though today could be the day with a smaller crowd and a lot of people missing for sickness and other things but it's not about the crowd it's just about you and Jesus it's about you making a decision and a commitment to follow Jesus and a, a decision and a commitment to obey the gospel Today could be your day. 
But if you have responded and you have obeyed the gospel, then the call for you today is this. Share it with everybody. I'm not near as good as I need to be, and I don't focus on it near as much as I should. But through God's help and God's grace, I'm going to ramp it up. Because almost everybody you meet is walking in spiritual darkness. But Jesus has come that they might see, that they might walk in the light. So I'm asking you today to take that step of faith not just internal, but physically take a step by walking to this altar and saying, Lord, I want to share the gospel with more people. I want to see my family come to know you. I want to see my coworkers come to know you. I want to see my friends come to know you. I want to see my classmates come to know you. If you want to do that, if you want to make that commitment to share the gospel with more fervency and passion, would you just gather around this altar for just a few minutes? God, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise and glory. God, give us passion for the lost. Give us fervency to share the gospel with those around us. Help us, Lord, to have boldness. We give you praise for that today. We give you you glory today for what you've done in us, Lord.